0: Hello, and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is a cross-partisan movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Olivia Becker, and this week, Inika Kotestani, Jade Tyra, Juliana Davis, Rhea Mehta, Sarah Cho I had the huge privilege of speaking with Mayor Yvonne Spicer of Framingham, Massachusetts, also known as the People's Mayor. This opportunity was in collaboration with Rep. 19 a community for elected women, Candidates, public servants, and activists who want to govern better. We learned so much about authentic leadership from Mayor Spicer and the gift she brings to being a public servant as a result of her life experience as an African-American woman, a scientist, and an educator. A serial trailblazer, she reminds us to respect the science, bringing an inclusive, data-driven, problem-solving mindset to decision-making. We hope you'll enjoy getting to know Dr. Spicer as much as we did. Thank you for joining us. My name is Olivia. I am a high school junior from New York City and the Director of Outreach and Engagement at NGP. And I'm just fascinated to learn about Mayor Spicer's unconventional background, as well as ways she is responding to COVID-19 in her own local community.
1: Hi, uh, my name is Ria Matha. I'm a senior in high school in Central New Jersey.
0: I think it was really interesting how Framingham became a city as compared to a town in 2018 when she stepped up to become mayor and how beyond any identifier she was, how the type of leadership qualities needed in this transition for the city were hope and vision and creativity and how she had that not only because it was who she was, but also because of her unconventional background coming from working in a museum, working in STEM, understanding the scientific process, how she think just really strengthened her and made her in the best position to be there for her community at that time. you know, When you're faced with a critical decision and someone says, decide now in an instant, that's not the way to do it. How you need to gather some of the facts, you need to analyze, you need to talk to the right people. Leadership takes that very holistic approach that science taught her. And I think it was really fascinating and inspiring for anyone who thinks that their qualifications aren't sufficient. I don't think anyone would have said Mayor Spicer's untraditional background was what that city needed at the time, and yet has proven to be one of the most, if not the most effective mayor in the now cities and towns history.
1: And I totally agree. I think like what she was really emphasizing is her ability to take in different perspectives, including and in embracing her own unique perspective. I think that's so important because in the time that we are in, um, leaders tend to, in crisis, look at only their perspective, whereas she really brought to light how important it is to have like a variety of perspectives. Navigating identity politics, being, you know, like a woman of color, like embracing her unique perspective as um, an African-American woman, yet also uplifting other marginalized communities and certain bills or policies that are most understood and most um, appreciated when you're coming from a background of maybe discrimination or coming from a background where you've faced that kind of hurt or pain before. And I feel like she really explained to us like why it's so important
0: to have diversity of voice and diversity of thought someone asked her how does being the first african-american female inform your perspective make you better than she said frankly i've been the first of a lot of things in my life right and it's just another barrier to overcome and she said you know if i can make the world better for for the girls that come after me especially black and brown girls then i i would have known i did something right but also proving it's not because of those identifiers that she's in the position she's in it's because she belongs yeah. there. Um, if anything, that's just the cherry on top. She knew she wanted to be mayor. She she had the policies in mind. She had the people. She didn't know how to run a campaign, how to put your name on the ballot, how to advertise. And so really having to understand that process while she was in the bid for for mayor, I think is quite fascinating. One of my favorite speeches or videos I've seen in a while is from Cornel West who's this American philosopher and it's about roots and routes you have to know your roots so then you can go on your routes right you have to really understand who you are where you come from before you can branch out and make connections with other people Mm -hmm. and form those interpersonal relationships right she's not upset about the past she comes from it's bittersweet to understand what it was like four generations ago three two and to feel privileged for the position you're in now But you can best understand that to then be that beacon of light for other people in the future to form those routes of of understanding who you are to know what you can be and what you can help create and be a part of.
2: There's a cycle. And I solve problems that way, too. I look at what is the problem. I come up with multiple solutions for that uh, problem. And then I choose one that I'm going to implement. And I know that whatever uh, solution I implement has a consequence and you're gonna be able to deal with that consequence. And then you're saying, you're gonna implement that solution, test it. Is it working? If it's not, redesign it and re-implement. And it's an iterative process that you go through and you go over and over again. So that's where I look at science and technology has helped me inform decisions. And I also look at it as, what can I do today? I'm, I'm really fortunate to have an amazing leadership team from all walks of life that are, and then also my, my core office team that works with me, uh, that bring a multitude of skills. And I love that, that I have very uh, divergent thinkers around me. And also, I encourage my team to challenge me if I present something and they say, well, Mayor, I don't know, here's another way of thinking about it. I encourage that because I welcome that thinking. So just because I'm the mayor doesn't mean I have to have all the answers. I trust other people's leadership.
0: I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on identity politics. Do you feel like somebody's diverse identity plays a bigger role than their personal policy when deciding who to
2: vote for? I tried very hard to steer away from it. Yes, you—you you can look and see all of the amazing things I've gotten a chance to do in my professional life. And one of the things that I—I I, I often say, I've done all of these things, and I've—I've I've had all these wonderful experiences. And yeah, by the way, I happen to be an African American woman and a kid from Brooklyn, and I own my Brooklyn roots all the time. I don't shy away from because each one of those experiences. Is a part of who I am and why I am the way I am today is that I've lived through those experiences. And I I will say to all of you too, if you haven't struggled, you you don't know the pleasure of reward. So you got to struggle if it came too easy you, you you you've missed the message here struggle is important and and part of the struggle is a kid that grew up in what one would consider uh poverty i never knew i was poor till other people told us we were poor quite frankly i thought i was quite wealthy in in many ways and lots of love and you know a community and and so that that's the other thing too is putting labels and 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 labels have a tendency to lock you in a box. And that's all you see. It's something that can be hard
1: to navigate. Labels do, I think, tend to uh, enforce maybe certain stereotypes or enforce norms of how you should act or how you should assert your authority.
2: You know, uh, and and it happens to me all the time. It still happens to me. And I'll I'll give you an example. You know, you go to a gathering, you meet some people, and they say, oh, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm the mayor of the city of Framingham. And then the next question from the same person is, oh, which mayor do you work for? So, you know, that didn't, that says something about what they can't embrace because couldn't see me as the mayor, but as the person that works for a mayor. My COO, who happens to be a white male. And if we're together, there's an automatic assumption that he is the mayor. And it happens. Um, So, you know, when you think about your identity, my mother used to always say, uh, let your work speak for you. And you don't have to really say, your work will speak volumes for you. So do some of the things that happen adversely towards me happen because I'm a woman? Yeah. Do some of the things happen because I'm a person of color? Yeah. And I I see it. I experience it every day. And, uh, you know, and I, I would be delusional to think because I am the mayor of the city of Framingham, that I will not experience sexism, racism. It will continue to happen. And there are those that will attempt to marginalize. Juliana, growing up, could you call an adult by their first name?
1: No. Like in school, no.
2: Right. And even if that person told you, "Call me by your first name," what would you automatically do?
0: Oh, I I wouldn't.
2: Mhm. What would they get a title?
0: Yeah, like Mister Miss.
2: Okay. See, Juliana. Now, now, and I I took a chance there, thinking culturally she's learned this lesson, because there are certain lessons culturally we have to learn. And it was also part of a level of respect. So, you know, if, say, for example, my staff, and I have the greatest team, I I really love someone will enter the office, is Yvonne in the office? And and they will say, Dr. Spicer is not available (laughs) for you right now. And and they purposely do it, Dr. Spicer, to remind people, because culturally, it's unacceptable to refer to anybody by their first name until they give you permission to do so. And, uh, you know, unless you uh, have a personal relationship. So those are the kinds of things, those cues that sometimes folks don't know. They just genuinely don't know. But also sometimes it's done to disarm. It's done to marginalize. And uh, and it's done intentionally. Let them know that uh, what your expectation is of them. So that comes with age too. When I was 20-something, I would let a whole lot of things slide because I said, I got a career, I got to build here, I'm not going to say anything, I'm not going to offend anybody. At 58 years old, I'm going to offend some people. <laughs> it's all right, and I, I'm going to keep moving.
1: Not everyone is able to understand why it can be so hurtful to like, just, the, I think, the discourse of, of our modern politics and to make sure that no one else really has to feel that way when younger people don't see voices like themselves or identities like themselves in politics it's harder for them right to get into politics and it's a cycle that continues and it's kind of breaking that barrier makes a lot of people hopeful i think younger people as well and younger people of color how has your background influenced views and policies and how have you been able to use your platform as a way to uplift women of color who maybe previously felt like they didn't have a voice how have you been able to open avenues for them
2: as I said, I always try to look at who's not at the table when I'm in any forum. And oftentimes, if I'm in a room and I see predominantly all white people, I say, okay, where are all the people? I'm not hearing their voice. Where's the Muslim community? I, I deliberately do things to be inclusive. I held the very first pride-raising ceremony in the in city of Framingham last year, and we raised that pride flag. And I can't tell you the number of... Emails, I got there. What are you doing? Why are you? We never did this before. What are you doing this for? And then I have the number of emails that said, thank you. Thank you for seeing all of us. Thank you for making something special in our city for all of us. So that's the kind of thing, too. Um, just as I also know, you know, any type of isms or obvious, it doesn't just affect that group that is uh, being targeted. It affects all people. It affects all people. And that's one of the messages I try really hard to put forth. This past Monday, I participated in an interfaith prayer vigil that where prayers and reflections were said in Hebrew, in uh, Arabic, in, uh, in the Christian tradition, in the Baha'i tradition, you know, in Spanish and Portuguese. I intentionally did this to show that we are all one people going through the same thing and how we pray, how we believe, how we, we, what we value, what is our spiritual center for us can look very different. But we're all in this together. It's really leading with your heart and your gut. Right now, during this uh, coronavirus situation, um, there are people who are coming out in droves volunteering to do food drives and, and deliver food and toiletries and make masks and do really terrific things in my community. The population I worry deeply about is, say, for example, they're not going to get a stimulus check. They're not going to get a check from the CARES Act. Because guess what? Their work was uh, under the table. Um, They may be undocumented. They don't speak English. uh, and, uh, And they have no idea how they're going to eat. So I am laser beam focused on this population of people working with churches, working with civic groups that target these organizations, making sure they know where to get food resources. They have help in Spanish. Tomorrow, I hope, um, I'm rolling out um, rental assistance. That, you know, for people can pay their rent and so they're not scared that they're not going to have a home and they're afraid to go get medical help because of the fact that they may be undocumented. I am making sure that there's some avenues where they can get medical treatment and, and testing done uh, regardless of being undocumented. And this is a group of people I, I say very centered on because you know I understand the journey. You know, uh, as I told you, I grew up in New York, uh, and my mom uh, cleaned houses. And I also know she was paid in cash. She didn't have any sick days. She didn't. She worked in Manhattan, and and I would go and clean houses with her. And I also knew that there were times when she would have to make the decision: Do I pay the light bill, the Con Edison, or do I pay the rent? And, and I've done my homework by the St. Jude candle many a nights because we didn't have both. So that's a reality. Those are the people that I really laser beam focus on and making sure that those needs are getting met within my community. And you've got to walk a mile. And that's one of the things I say to you. It's not always what you see because there are those who see that's Dr. Spicer. Yes, she is. But she was somebody else. And that was a journey to get to Dr. Spicer. And that's one of the things I don't hide my journey. I don't not talk about my journey because I think it's important for people to, to really understand that whatever your current situation is not the end of your story. It doesn't have to be. There is more to your story. You can transition and, and move through just about anything.
1: Again, I think that's a view that
0: comes from a place of wanting to increase diversity and wanting to increase inclusion. I loved how she's called the people's mayor, and that speaks so much to who she is and what she believes in. She represents her community as authentically and transparently as possible, knowing that when I'm at a table, I see who's missing. Why isn't it here? And I work to bring it here, especially as a former New Yorker who understands what this looks like and what it can feel like. And I think this is going to eventually push her community forward. I know a lot of other countries and different organizations, I believe also the state of California, has tried to implement permanent requirements for this inclusivity, quotas and structural things to bring more diversity to the table. What are your thoughts on these permanent requirements or legislation for inclusivity, given that you earned your way to your position?
2: I earned my way. But I also say, too, there needs to be, the table needs to be set. One should not have to fight to get there. Anyone that says to me, oh, I appreciate, I celebrate diversity and and inclusiveness. Well, you can say it. Let me see what it looks like. And whatever policies and practices that you're not being deliberate in a, you know, making sure if your community is you know say 10% Asian, 10% Latino, then your faculty at your college or your school should represent that, and the, the people that work in the kitchen should represent that ratio. And you should strive to do that, and, and really have a create a plan. How are you going to achieve that? So that's that's deliberate action, and, and you know, and sometimes I think about my journey. You know, it's one thing to be mentored. It's another thing to be sponsored. And, and I think I was sponsored being a woman in a technical field. So, you know, there were no other women. So who had to sponsor me? Men. Some of my greatest supporters are men, white men. Because they are the ones to kick the door open to me and grab me by the hand and say, come on through with. So that's something I, I don't want to underplay because you've got to have, just as you have to have those women that will support you, women that look differently, you need those men to also be supporting you and being a part of that circle and being that advocate as well. I'm a
3: big believer in photos, and this country is not such a big believer, but I can, I can point to the state of California, which legislated that public companies had to have at least one woman board member by last year and two women board members by this year, you know, I'm not sure of the exact numbers, et etc. But it has dramatically increased the number of women on boards of directors of public companies, which is a really important step forward. I mean, really, we need a web of women of increasing influence because it's having women decide who gets elevated into CEO positions and across the spectrum of positions and is influential in helping women run for office. So I'm not optimistic for a ton of legislative solutions like quotas, but I do think that there's a place for them. Progressive states can lead the way with them. But I think that it's really important to view yourself as an important node in a web that brings more power to women across the spectrum. And Mayor Spicer, I, I, I do have that one question for you. Do you prefer being called doctor or mayor?
2: Here's the one thing you can't have both. <laughs> you can't have Mayor Dr. Spicer or Dr. Mayor Spicer. One or the other. And I'll answer to both, uh, both of them too. You know, someone asked me what what is the formal way to to address you, and when I went to the um, state house and I was in in the chamber of the House of Representatives, you know, you're dressed address is Madam Mayor. So now when you're with other mayors, everyone just says Mayor, and we all look. You know, so either one is. Pr-
1: I was just wondering if you could kind of put the context of the pandemic into that conversation because as you know women leaders in different countries you know such as germany new zealand uh, taiwan they've been getting accolades for their leadership right through COVID 19 and despite them only compromising seven percent of global leaders so why do you think this is and what are some of the future implications
2: Here's one thing that I can say during this pandemic, first of all, I want to give a huge shout out to my colleagues that are mayors and town managers. We have been working together, not only here locally in Massachusetts, uh, but at the broader scale across the country. And we learn from each other because no matter how long you've been a mayor, you've never dealt with a pandemic. And we're all in this together and we're all learning from each other. And uh, we're also making decisions. doesn't matter whether you're Republican or Democrat. We're doing this together. Let's get it done together. And, you know, women are often focused on the good of the people. They're not focused on, you know, is this going to get me reelected? Right now, I'm focused on saving lives of people in my community. That is my clear focus. And uh, and if I'm doing my job and I'm doing it well, and I, I, and I think I am, I feel confident about that. I believe the people of Framingham will see that I have lived up to what I said I was going to do. Sharing resources or where to get resources. We, we do that on a regular basis you know, and, and that's the thing I feel good about here in, in uh, Massachusetts is those relationships that I've cultivated over the last three or so years as a mayor. And, uh, and it's pretty awesome. There are about 10 women that are mayors here in Massachusetts. There's only about 40 mayors in the entire state, and 10 of us are women.
0: I think regardless of one's political opinion, seeing attention to detail and care of every member of community is, is awe-inspiring.
1: How has
0: Framingham been hit with COVID-19? Also, what are your opinions on the different ways that other mayors and government officials are handling the outbreak?
2: First of all, Framingham, we've kind of stood up resources in our community, whether it's our uh, emergency operation center that takes calls, whether people need food resources. We have put together a pretty robust food program for families that have providers, but a number of community partners to help distribute food, because those are the critical things. Safety of the community, uh, uh, security, and services. What services are we able to continue to offer? I closed schools over a Month ago, all uh, the library, schools, city hall, because I learned uh, from lecture that I went to with the doctors that um, the fastest way to halt this virus is social distancing. And the fastest way to do that is to close schools. So within 48 hours, the schools in Framingham were closed. The libraries were closed. City Hall was closed down. And that was early March, around March 12th or 13th. So we've done that and we've started to look at our data. And yes, we knew we would, we're right now in the middle of the surge. And uh, and we knew our numbers would start rising because we started doing more testing. And we've been doing more testing, you know, and of course we can start to look at pockets of where we're having cases, and, I, and like many other communities, our senior centers are, are struggling, and uh, and that's where we're starting to see a lot more cases come to fruition. Some of the efforts that we've put together, making sure that the hospital is up to date, I host a morning call, a daily call, seven days a week, uh, with the entire leadership team, I also include our city council, I include our hospital personnel, as well as our state legislators. And and we have a check-in call every morning to look at where we are, what things that we need to implement, where are we finding holes or gaps that we need to cover. And I have to say, I am incredibly proud of the people of Framingham. Um, you know, uh, community groups have come together to sew masks, because right now I just signed an executive order that in order to go in a grocery store or pharmacy or any essential business, you must have a face covering on. And also those employees have to have a, a face covering on. And, and these are things that I'm learning as I learn something new I implement something else and yes it's an inconvenience at the end of the day if I save a few lives along the way as a result of doing that then it was well worth people being upset and I'm conscious of it and 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 I have to say people have been tremendously wonderful Uh, you know I'm seeing yes you have that one or two people that are not following but overall people are following uh, social distancing they're they're out walking their dog they have a mask on or they're going to the stores uh, you know so I'm seeing that happen and we're trying to keep it together the the one thing that I am conscious of is making sure that people are not used to spending this much quality time in indoors with your family and uh, and it's stressful it's very very stressful and so making sure people getting opportunities to go out, just even go for a walk uh, to get some fresh air and uh, and know that there are resources for their own mental health for domestic violence. And I make a point of posting that information. We put out a release every single day. Sometimes I do little videos, uh, talking to the people. Sometimes I demonstrate things, wearing my own face mask. Sometimes i walk around the neighborhood so they know I'm out here walking. I got my face mask, you see what I'm doing? I'm, I'm modeling good behavior. Picture may not look rosy, but tell the story. Tell the truth and put it out there so they know what's happening, that it's, it's real. I truly believe we're gonna get through this. And this is truly an opportunity for us to really think about our lives. And what we do now is going to determine what happens for us in the future. And maybe we need to shift some things. Maybe some things that we were really thinking were all that important, not so important. If everyone spent a little more time reaching out to somebody, talking to them on the telephone, being a little kinder, a little nicer to other people. We're gonna get through this together.
3: What do you see inspires young people? And then also, um, we have a question about your experience, Mayor Spicer, having seen um, Shirley Chosen speak when you were young, and what you remember about that experience.
2: I met Shirley Chisholm when I was six years old and I was in first grade um, you know my first grade teacher Mrs. Gluck and uh, and I remember she said we ha- we have a visitor we have a congresswoman coming and I said I don't know what a congresswoman is I'm six years old and we were all we just knew we had a we had a visitor coming and uh, and I remember asking uh, you know what does a congresswoman do and she said to help people and that's what my job is to help you and so of course you know wide-eyed And you went home, you told the story, I told my mother, I met, you know, a congresswoman. And, you know, you didn't think much of it. But then to think about this woman's legacy in Congress being the first woman to ever run for president. And the incredible thing she did to represent uh, Brooklyn, and she's a part of my legacy. Maybe she planted that seed in me early on that I didn't know was being nurtured and going to grow. So you never know how you're going to be an influence. And uh, and I I am very pleased to know that uh, right now one of our uh, Congresswomen, uh, Ayanna Presley, sits in Shirley Chisholm's old office. So Ayanna Presley, who is a congresswoman here in Massachusetts, she's the first African-American woman ever to be elected to Congress from Massachusetts. And she, uh, her office is what used to be Shirley Chisholm's office. So that is an awesome feeling for me to know both of uh, these women and, and be extremely proud. There was a question about um, what inspires young women. Young women, first of all, in my experience, they want to make a difference and they they really, really want to make a difference. And you know what they're passionate. And they want to feel that what uh, what they believe in is going to create change. For example, uh, the young man from um, Parkland High School, David Hogg. I've met him a couple of times. This young man is so inspirational to me. His passion about violence and his own personal experience has fueled him to have an organization, a momentum of young people who have gotten behind this initiative and will fight and fight for uh, violence-free schools, violence-free communities. I am inspired by him. I see so many, this young woman about climate change, Greta. I, I mean, I look and I say to myself, this is, the, the, the heart and soul and the fire of this country that is burning and that has to keep burning and being supported. Because that's what's gonna make a difference going forward. That is truly going to make a difference. And I, I like to think that as a former classroom teacher, my, my, my job has always been to inspire. And I even see it now. It's, that's my job to inspire and support. In the words of one of my staff members who oftentimes say say to me, you know, when she's working on something, she said, Dr. Spicer, step aside, you're in the way of my greatness. And so, you know, I I don't want to be in the way of our next generation's greatness. I want to be behind them, pushing them along, fanning that flame for them to succeed and knowing that um, I'm there to support them.
1: That's all for today with Next Gen Politics. Special thanks to our editor Clara Medina, our producer Sanda Balaban, and to Jeremiah Hunt for our opening and closing music. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org for links related to what we've discussed and to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded. This is Maggie Yu for Nextgen Politics.